You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. I appreciate the opportunity to have this class with y'all today. And uh, I, I like hen parties. You know, just a chance for the ladies to get together. This particular lesson uh, is one that I have presented in two or three, at least three other places. The title is, What Does Love Look Like? And as we work through the hour, I want you to try and focus on what I'm saying while the other part of your brain is going over some things that people have done for you out of love. And at the end of class, I'm going to give you the opportunity to share that with us. And the reason I like to do this class is because the things that are shared at the end give people ideas for service, ways to express love for other people that maybe they hadn't thought of before. And so it's a a practical class on the subject of love. Just uh, as a beginner, we're going to have a prayer, and I've asked Carol to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Carol. Just for a quick background review so you'll know who I am and where I'm coming from, I was born in Marlton, Arkansas when my father was preaching there, and when I was one, we moved to Wichita. And he preached at West Douglas for four years. One of the few memories I have from there was playing in the backyard on a windy day and there was a dead tree that fell, and I suffered a skull fracture, two skull fractures, and a concussion. And I spent three nights in the hospital by myself because they wouldn't let the mama stay. And then the hard part for my mom was that for the next three weeks, I had to stay in bed. And I think often about her trying to keep a four-year-old entertained in bed. I can remember the day that I got to get up. So that's my remembrances of Wichita. (laughs) And from there we moved to New Mexico and Texas and Oklahoma and back to Texas. And I met Jimmy and we married and he started preaching. And that was 50 years ago that we've been married. uh, And he has preached in Texas and Arkansas. We're in Seminole, Texas, which is out on the west side. It's, It's not as far west as El Paso, but we're kind of at the bottom of the panhandle. It's brown. 
Uh, I'm fascinated by the green and all the pretty flowers y'all have growing here. But the wind feels pretty much like home to me. The windblown look is definitely a hairstyle that we all uh, fight, you know. Okay, so the plan for the study is that uh, we will look at a definition of love from several different places, including the Bible, and the action of love. We'll look at biblical examples of love and love in application. And then in the conclusion, after the conclusion, then you'll have your opportunities to share with us. And I really have encouraged the ladies not only to tell what people have done for them out of love, but to share what they've done for other people out of love. I have found that the ladies are reluctant to do that because it feels like bragging. But if you wanted to put it in the words of a person could do this, you know, if that makes you feel any better, uh, that'd be fine. But it's not all about what's done for us. I'm sure among you ladies, you've done many things out of love. So the title for our study is, What Does Love Look Like? We use the word love to describe all kinds of emotions and preferences. From the deep well of devotion for our newborn child to our leanings toward creamy peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter. And as wives, we love our husbands. We may say that we love our houses. There are just a lot of things that in the English language we lump under just the single word love. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, it's the Holy Spirit makes it clear that love is more than what we feel for someone or what we feel for something. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Society, our society in particular, often confuses lust for love. Lust is strong desire that is inconsistent with the will of God. Unlike the image of selflessness found in the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, lust seeks its own. Lust uses people. It's going after our own selfish interests. When you hear someone just flippantly say, oh, they made love on their first date, that is not love. That's lust. It's using people. Just as Hebrews 11 shows that true faith acts, true love is a word full of action, and most often the action of love involves giving. There is no more telling definition that can be found for the word love than the one found in John 
God loved us so much that he gave, and what he gave was profound. In John 3:16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. If you have been blessed with a son, try to imagine yourself being willing to give him up for people who are liars and murderers and thieves and drunkards and adulterers and selfish and prideful. It can give us a better feel for what God gave up for us. Not only did God give his priceless son, but he chose to give us the right and the ability to become his children and bear his name. We read in 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Jesus showed us what love looks like by his life on earth. He left the realm of heaven for us. In John 6 and verse 38, we read, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He washed his own disciples' feet. In John 13, 5, it says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He acted like a servant. He died for us when we did not deserve such love. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Scripture shows that the law and the prophets of old were hung upon active love. A Pharisee lawyer tested Jesus, asking him, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him. We read it in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, as recorded in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's an act of love. In 1 John 2, verse 15, among those commandments, we are to love not the world, nor the things in the world. And we are commanded by Jesus to love our brethren. In John 15 and verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus commands us to love our enemies. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That's an active love. Do good. Not just feel good. Not just have a kind thought about them in spite of how they hate us. 
but do good. Love for our fellow man also entails activity. In 1 John 3, verses 16 and 17, we read, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? There are many biblical examples of love's expression. Paul urged the Christians in Corinth to show the same love for the needy brethren in Judea that had been expressed by the churches of Macedonia. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it, Paul wrote, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. In spite of the hatred most Jews felt for most Gentiles, the Macedonians, who were Gentiles, sent help to the hungry Judeans, who were Jews. Their love led them to give, not only the gift, but themselves. Think of Dorcas, a disciple at Joppa who was a seamstress. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did, Acts 9 verse 36. When she died, the widows of the Jerusalem church wept, showing Peter the garments she had uh, sewn for them. They were not weeping for the loss of a seamstress. They were weeping with love for their sister in Christ who had exhibited love toward them. Love for one another will be seen in our response to the work that others have been given to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, we see King David had his desire, a strong desire, to build a house for God. It says in 2 Samuel, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. The ark was still contained in the tabernacle. And David felt, I think he felt kind of guilty that he had a nicer house than the tabernacle, than the uh, ark of the covenant did. Knowing how David longed to honor the Lord with a temple, the Lord told him, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. But what was David's reaction when God refused his offer? 
choosing another to build his house instead of David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, we read what his reaction was. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great war. You shall not build a house for my name. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. David even shared his plans he had made and materials he had already gathered so that Solomon would succeed in his work of building the temple. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord gold, silver, and bronze, and iron beyond measure. I have prepared timber and stone. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all type of skillful men for every kind of work. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. First Chronicles 22, verses 14 through 16. Sadly, Christians may so desire to do a particular service for God that they actually become resentful when someone else does the work and perhaps does it better. Men have become jealous when another man was chosen to lead singing during a gospel meeting. I heard of a sister in Christ who got her feathers ruffled when the elders asked someone else to assist a lady who would be baptized. Preachers have exhibited envy at the visible success of other preachers. Parents have even been jealous of other parents who were more successful in raising their children. This is not love. Hymn writers have shown a bitter attitude when someone else's hymn became popular. I have not attended the hymn writing classes that are held in Oklahoma at the singing school. I like to write hymns, but I've never gone there to the hymn writing classes. But I was told that in that class, they are instructed to pray that someone else writes a better hymn. It's a selfless love. We ought to emulate David's attitude of love, both for God and for others, giving encouragement to the one who is involved in the work, praying for their success, helping them to succeed. And then we have love in application. The church is described as a body and not just any old body. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a passage in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23 that is describing Jesus and his strong feelings of love for the church. It is his body. Love for our brethren 
will lead us to pray for them. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 4, this is just an example of the way Paul prayed for his fellow Christians. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy. Love for our brethren will lead us to seek their prayers for us. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul knew that it was not just his prayers that God would hear. He needed the prayers of his brethren, and so do we. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul wrote this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring involves work. So these actions and thoughts for our fellow brethren are not going to just come on their own. We've got to work at it. In Romans 12, in verse 10, Paul wrote, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. There are two kinds of love that are mentioned in the New Testament. Agape love involves doing what is best for someone else, looking out for their welfare. This passage is not talking about that. It's talking about Phileo love, which is an I like you kind of love. It's affection. And Paul is calling on us as Christians to be affectionate with one another. Love for young people will lead us to give up ourselves by taking the time to teach young people. Unfortunately, some people, especially women, have the feeling when they say, I've done my time. My kids were young and I taught then, but now that my kids are grown, I've done my time. It sounds like they were in jail and that they were serving grudgingly. But there's no time for coasting in the kingdom of God. We need to be willing to die in the harness to keep working and keep helping and keep on doing the things that will make the church stronger as long as we have the strength to do it. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Love of a young man for a young woman will lead him to protect her, even from his own desires. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 
and verse 4, we've already read this, but it said, Love thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. In other words, not finding pleasure in sin. Does the young man that you are dating practice self-control and self-denial before marriage for your welfare? Choose carefully. When something is to be done for life, it must be done well. We ought not to denigrate or undervalue our own talents by comparison with other members of the body, saying, well, I'm not them, so I don't count. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is talking about the body and different parts of it that can talk. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Nor should we belittle the contribution of other members saying, I don't need you. In 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 21, it says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. There is a danger when we ignore these principles because such lack of love, both of self and others, will lead to envy and anger and hatred and division in the church, the church that Christ died for. Rather, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, we read, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Isn't that true of your body? Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Further, Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. I have heard people discuss this before and pretty much all agree that Unfortunately, we find it easier to weep with those who weep than rejoice with those who rejoice. It's possible to actually be jealous when something good happens to a fellow Christian. Is it because it makes us feel like, I don't know, we're less than they are? It's kind of hard to take it apart and figure out why, as Christians, we would react that way. We're happy to be sympathetic with people that are struggling. But it can be harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. But it ought not to be. All these passages paint a clear picture of what love looks like. It is selfless response to the circumstances of others. Love is clearly seen because love acts. It's visible. 
How can love be exhibited in the church today? When a man was gravely ill, he received a card of encouragement from a sister in Christ, and his wife received one from her as well. The sender knew that when one is hurting, their mate hurts as well. When asked about the charitable work of one Christian lady, it has been said of her that the auditorium could not hold all the food that she has prepared for others. When a woman was stricken with cancer, a sister in Christ came and gathered up the family's clothes that needed ironing, doing the work and returning the clothing ready for the family to wear. When a child was born, a sister in Christ came and cleaned the house for the new parents. When an excellent seamstress wanted to share her talent with others, she invited girls and ladies into her home and taught them to sew. When a young man observed that his sister in Christ was dressed immodestly, he kindly showed her what scripture says. That was an act of love. And when a young woman was told by her brother in Christ, by a brother in Christ, that her clothing was immodest, she thanked him and chose something better to wear. That was an act of love. When, young one, when one young woman, also a wife, made acknowledgement for sin, she was so sickened by her sin that she could hardly take care of her family. She tells how comforted she was when a sister in Christ brought food to them. When a young woman of the world used curse words at school, a fellow student who was a Christian showed her how God views such language, and eventually he converted her to Christ. That was an act of love. When a man was dying of kidney failure, his brother in Christ offered him one of his own kidneys. In each case that I've cited, all of them true, someone offered something to someone else, whether the gift was of their time or their talent, their knowledge of the scriptures, their finances, or labor, or even their own flesh. They saw a need. They looked for a need. They loved. In conclusion, while we may use the word love loosely in some contexts, God has shown very clearly that love in its truest sense involves action and giving. He showed his love for us by giving his son for us. Jesus' love for us was active and giving. We show our love for God by giving him our obedience, and that's active. We show our love for mankind by valuing them, accepting them, assisting them, and giving of ourselves and our service. That is active love. And we will look, if we will look to the needs of others from a heart of love that is active, we will find there's plenty for us to do. So let's pray for the strength to do it. I will rejoice in your rejoicing when days are good and days are fine, and when your tears of grief and sorrow fall to earth 
then so will mine. What have others done for you that showed what love looks like? Does anyone want to start it? All right. So listening is an act of love. What does a person have to give to be able to do that? It's not easy to be a good listener and keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that too. It's an act of love not to speak when it isn't needed. What she needed was someone to just listen. And we're, we're usually pretty quick to start giving advice and we want to be able to solve problems and help people solve their problems. and. We think we know the answer, and we'll, sometimes we'll jump in there and say things that are not, they're not helpful. Sometimes all a person needs is a listener, and it takes wisdom to know when to speak and when not to. Yes? Good, and you can do it for others. I know when I had two major surgeries in 2002, several men in the church where we were at Centerville uh, told me that they were praying for me privately told me that and it just made me feel like I had a nice warm blanket wrapped around me who's next Ashley Yeah. And I was getting, you know, I 
Mm -hmm. Well, that was one thing that struck me when I mentioned that about the man was sick and received a, a card of encouragement from a lady, but his wife got one also. And that is true, that when our husband is hurting or our child is hurting, we're hurting too. It was very thoughtful. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> of course, in the marital relationship, that can be a hard one to be consistent about. We, we want to exercise our good memory and remind him of some mistake he made in the past because we're afraid he's fixing to make it again. And that doesn't show much trust or love or giving him the benefit of the doubt that he can learn from his mistakes, too. We, we don't need to keep track of wrongs. And I've known people who lived a life of accounting. It was like once people had wronged them, that was it. That was it. And... and you could hardly have a conversation with them when that person's name was came up that they didn't have to, they just felt this compulsion to talk about that wrong that was committed years and years before. And we're not supposed to do that. God doesn't do it to us. Yes. Mm -hmm. Had the past wrong been repented of and forgiven? As far as me, I wasn't holding a grudge for that at all. I don't know whether the person had repented of it. Let's see. Yeah. Well, if it's been committed against us personally, it's harder for us not to notice that they're doing it again. But what was Jesus' instruction to Peter? When Peter thought he was being generous, you know, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Seven? That's a pretty big number. If that person has done the same thing wrong seven times. But Jesus was encouraging him to have a forgiving heart. If you're trying to help that person, 
uh, avoid sin or repeating a pattern that's self-destructive. It has to be brought up, but it, it can't be done from a spirit of hatefulness. Anyone else want to address what she said? I, I'm not here to give all the answers here. But she said she didn't know if they had repented. Have to act like we don't remember what happened before, there are times when it would be 
Jesus did not keep an account of the wrongs done to him personally. In fact, he did not come to his own defense personally. Now, if someone else was being wronged, he would, you know, step up in their defense. If it was his own disciples trying to keep children from being able to be in his presence, that was they were wronging those children and the children's parents. And so Jesus, he would get on to them. But when it came to being slapped in the face, he was there to suffer for mankind. And we can overreact when it's a personal wrong. But then if it's in defense of someone else, I think we're not talking about the same thing. Did y'all have anything else you wanted to mention? Might give others in the class an idea of things they could do uh, as an expression of love. That is, giving up your time is a great gift. There is a, an extra sheet that I stapled on your outline. It's a hymn that I wrote in 99. And I wrote it because of an... Someone expressed the idea of, well, there's nothing really for me to do that will benefit the church. I don't have this talent or I don't have that one, which kind of fits along with what we've been talking about here regarding David and whether he was jealous that someone else got to do. Even though it was his own son, David felt strongly about this project being his project to build that temple. And for him to be able to relinquish that desire realizing God had his reasons. And it's not that God was angry with David for shedding blood. He'd been fighting right along with David against the Lord's enemies. But David was one kind of servant for God, and God wanted a different kind of servant to build his temple. So we need to honestly evaluate our own strengths and find ways to use those strengths that God put in us to be able to serve other people. That's an act of love. And Christianity is all about service. We're either serving God or we're serving each other. And if we're not doing that, then our Christianity doesn't go deep at all. But anyway, just that idea of there's nothing for me to do in the church. 
I thought about that for a while, and so I wrote this, and I'm definitely not going to sing it, but I would like for you to look at the lyrics with me. If love is all I have, then let me do my part to share the grief of others and to mend the broken heart. Forbid that I ignore them or would keep myself apart. If love is all I have, my love I give. If wealth is all I have, then let me spend it well in holding up the hands of those who rescue men from hell. What greater purchase could I make than see their numbers swell? If wealth is all I have, my wealth I give. If care is all I have, then help me learning how to ease the pain of others and to wipe the fevered brow. Lord, help me do it tenderly and help me do it now. If care is all I have, my care I give. If self is all I have, then let me servant be like him who reigns in glory served with all humility. For only serving others am I truly serving thee. If self is all I have, myself I give. <laughs> well, we can have good intentions and then the opportunity gets past us. Okay, well, I think that ends the class unless something has come to your mind that someone did for you out of an act of love. One thing that has not been said that I've heard before in a class was naming the person who taught them the truth. That was an act of love, whether it was your parents, your grandparents, a co-worker, a sister, whoever it was, someone taught you the truth. Maybe it was a whole long string of preachers or Bible class teachers. But someone helped bring you to Christ if you're a Christian, and that was an act of love. Leah, is there anything you'd like to add? Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for coming, and we've almost used up our hour. So, Ashley, if you would, would you say the prayer, please? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.